Hi everybody and welcome to the Golders Podcast, where we aim to sprinkle particles of knowledge by engaging and educating. With your co-hosts, father and son duo, Keith and David Mayer. We're excited to have you on this journey with us and we know our wide variety of world-class guests will provide lots of value for our listeners. To ensure you stay up to date with everything we've got going on on the podcast, make sure you subscribe. Today, we're extremely excited to welcome on Richard Dobson. Richard is the assistant manager at Wickham Wanderers and is now the longest serving assistant manager in the Football League, having held his role for nine years. Dobbo features in the book, Goldust, and we're very excited to have him on to share some more knowledge around why he has been so successful at the highest level. Richard Dobson, Dobbo, great to have you on Goldust podcast, mate. We thank you for your time. Now, before we dive into our conversation, we'd like for you to share your background in coaching and share some of the names of the players that you've worked with. Yeah, well, firstly, Keith, David, uh, thanks for, for having me on. Looking forward to, to our conversation. Uh, to answer your question, my, my backstory is I, I work with Gareth Ainsworth currently, and, and Gareth is one of them players that had a, a wonderful career through to his 40s. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum. So I had uh, three cruciate ligament replacements within the space of five years between 19 and 24. Uh, That was my playing career done and and I went into coaching very early as a consequence. So uh, I've been coaching full-time since I was 25. Um, Started out at at Brentford within the the Centre of Excellence there uh, and spent six years with that club. Um, and then was uh, asked to join Wickham Wanderers. Um, so that will be back in July 2007 now. Uh, initially as, as Centre of Excellence Manager, but within six months had, um, had progressed to, to youth team coach. And then another six to eight months later, um, I was made Head of Youth Development there. Um, so over a three or four year period from that moment on, uh, I ran the, the youth uh, department, the academies as they're, they're now known. And uh, um, in July 2011, uh, after an interim spell as, as assistant manager, helping out the manager that was um, in place then, Gary Waddock, um, I, was, I was made uh, assistant manager. So um, nine years now as assistant manager. Uh, very proud to say uh, longest serving assistant manager in the, the Football League. Um, you know, in this day and age to to stay in a job that long is, um, is an achievement in, in professional football and I'm very proud of that. Um, and I've worked with some, some really wonderful players along the way. Um, to give a, a few examples, in my first youth team was, was Matty Phillips. Now, um, Matty was um, an England international whilst he was at, at Wickham Wanderers, England Youth International, which for a club of our size was, was a great achievement to have a player that represented his country um, and he's since gone on to, to, to play at full international level for Scotland, which I think one of his grandparents um, helped him qualify for. Um, but Matty's also played in the Premier League. He's had several big moves now uh, and he's really forged a, a great career for himself. Um, Jordan Ibe is another one that will be a, a household name. We, we sold him to Liverpool when he was, I think he was only 16. Um, came to us when he was um, under 12s. Um, and uh, quickly progressed beyond his years. So um, under 12, he was playing under 14s football. Under 14, he was playing under 16s football and, and occasionally at 15 years of age was, was playing in the, the youth team. Um, and believe it or not, made his, his professional debut as a 15-year-old, which um, really takes some doing. Um, and he played 11 times for our first team. Uh, before sold to, to Liverpool and, and in actual fact the, the money that we've made from the sale of Jordan Ibe has, has kept our club alive over the last few years so it turned out to be um, a really important signing for us and, and, and an important player to develop for us um, in terms of keeping our club alive and then there are others like Kadeem Harris who is now uh, at Sheffield Wednesday uh, we sold him to Cardiff and um, he's obviously been around the Premier League set up there um, Courtney House is currently at Aston Villa um, and has played in the Premier League this season. Um, and then ones that have joined us later, Alfie Mawson on loan, who um, is now at Fulham, but uh, you know, went into the Premier League and played Premier League football at Swansea. Um, so some, some, some really good young players that have, have developed well with us 
And at the other end of the scale, the likes of Bayak and Fenwa is coming to the end of his career and, um, you know, still wants to be developed, still wants to be challenged um, and, and is enjoying his time with, his, with our club in the twilight years of his career. There's certainly a lot of players that have gone through the ranks and I'm sure continually to develop under you and Gareth down at Wickham. Now, um, I'm sure that the, you know, there's some depth and we'll draw out more of how you've gone about developing those players, you know, further in the interview. And we'd be interested in finding out your experiences that you can share upon us. Yeah. Um, from from um, Matty Phillips's perspective, um, as a 17-year-old kid in our first team, he could be the best player on the pitch for, for 70 minutes in games as a kid. But he had this downward spiral when he made a mistake that would affect his confidence. And, you know, for 70 minutes, he'd be the best player. And, and 10 minutes later, he would um, he'd be getting substituted because he'd had a, a poor 10 minutes. And I worked ever so hard with him on his consistency. So we, 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 we did what we, we called a, a tick and cross chart. So every time he did something well, it was a, a mental tick. And every time he did, didn't do something so well, it was a cross. And um, we spoke about breaking the chain of crosses. So whenever he'd made a cross to stop him from getting in that downward spiral of, of performance, we spoke about making his next involvement in, in the game a tick. So we got back on track. And, and um, you know, that was one of the, the, the early um, uh, mental development uh, techniques that I used for, for a lad that obviously had broken into the first team at a very young age and, and had to learn very quickly how to survive at that level. Um, and whether or not he still uses that, I, I'm not sure, but he's certainly a lot more consistent in his game now. Um, and, and it was something that you know, he'd come in straight after a game and he'd want to look at this chart and say, he knew he, he knew that there was moments in the game where he'd, he'd had a little downward spell. And so we looked to try and break that cycle and, and we talked about it quite a lot. And he was very open-minded towards um, developing the, the psychological side of his game um, as well as the, the, the technical and tactical side. Dobbo, I mean, you've, you've worked now from the babies all the way through to, to the first team in your coaching career. And in your, in your journey, can you shed some light on how you've evolved as a coach over the, the period from when you first started at Brentford? Yeah, uh, I've evolved hugely, David. It's, um, it's, it's an ongoing process. And you learn with every session, with every game, with every week, and with every um, involvement with it, with every player. You, you're continually, continually learning. Uh, a good friend of mine and a, a UEFA licensed coach many years ago, he had been in his mid-50s at the time, and he said something that stuck with me for, for, forever. Um, he said, the more you learn about this game, the more you realise how little you know. Uh, and I just think it's a great statement for any new coaches that are, that are getting into the game that... There's, the game is huge um, and the knowledge that you have at the start of it, you'll look back in years to come and say, um, you know, I know so much more now than I did when I first started. Um, and it's about drawing on that knowledge and, and taking some things from other people. Um, I remember being on a course right at the very start of my coaching career when I just started at Brentford. And one of the questions the FA asked was, who do you aim your sessions at? You're at an academy. Who do you aim your sessions at? Is it the top players or is it everybody now, who, who's, who's you, who are you aiming at? And I was adamant at the time that we aimed at the top six because as far as I was concerned, you know, they were the ones that were going to go on to become professional footballers. And, um, uh, you know, we had to focus on them boys because they were going to be the future of the football club. If you ask me that question now, uh, it's a totally different answer. For me, when you're a coach, you develop everybody and you try and give everybody an equal opportunity. You try and give everybody... Um, uh, equal share of your knowledge and, and um, uh, the wisdom that you want to pass on because every player that enters your club is part of your community, your culture and it's important that you embed your, your culture within every single one of them. So, um, you know, there's a prime example of, of a way that I've changed over the years um, and, and that's how I feel very strongly now. Um, everybody counts that's in your environment, everybody. Um, and whether they're top of the ladder and the best player in the team or at the bottom end of the ladder and maybe struggling a little bit. They all deserve equal concern and equal help and guidance as best you can give. Thanks, Dobbo. You, you feature quite heavily in a, in a book, uh, in chapter three, which talks about building on the connection. I would like for you to delve a little deeper into the phrase you used around human connection. 
can you explain to our listeners what this means to you? Yeah, well, this was something I, I thought about over many years. Um, you look at the likes of Manchester City and Manchester United and Chelsea and the amount of money that they spend to try and uh, achieve success. And then you see Leicester win the Premier League and you think there's something else going on here other than the money. There's a, there's a currency here that maybe football hasn't quite understood or, or nailed just yet. That means that you can, you can bypass the, the financial might of some of the bigger clubs and compete with them in other ways. And um, for me, that currency is, is human connection. And I talk about it as a, 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 like a fabric. So um, if a fabric hasn't got many connection points, the moment it's put under stress, it, it, it breaks, it tears. So the more points of connection that you can have, the stronger that fabric becomes. And, and much like football clubs, when you, you've got a, a lot of points of connection, everybody's looking after each other's backs, um, then you can stress that team uh, more and more and more, and it doesn't break. That, that, that fabric doesn't break within the team. Um, and I'd like to think that that's something that we've got uh, at Wickham Wanderers. You know, it, the, the culture there is ever so strong. Um, and there's many layers to that culture, which I'll talk about as we, as we progress. But at, at Wickham Wanderers, you know, years ago, we had no money. We were at the bottom end of the league. Um, finances were, were ever so tight. The, the supporters ran the club as a supporters um, trust model. And uh, um, we couldn't go toe-to-toe with other clubs in our division in terms of the standard of players that, that they had versus the standard of players that we had. But the one thing that we did have was a, um, a group of lads that were really committed and um, had an identity and, and um, uh, a background with the club. So people like Matt Bloomfield, for example, who's been with the club for 15 years, he epitomises the culture of our club and, and the people within it. So in order to compete with the clubs above us, we decided that we would invest, because we didn't have money, we'd invest in people. We'd invest in trying to develop the people and if we could develop the people, the players would follow. Um, uh, and I think I put a quote in your book about, I don't like players always being called players because there's many different facets to their lives. And being a footballer is just one of them. Um, so for us, we, we look to develop the people as well as the players. And obviously you do your work on the training ground and you try and develop the team and the individuals on the training ground. But we, we did things off of the training ground. It was, it was like speed development. We needed to, to get the, the, the team in a good place very quickly. So um, we decided to do um, off-pitch development days and we focused on the psychological and, and social side of our players, um, understanding themselves, understanding others, and, um, and, and trying to uh, develop more contact points along that fabric of the team. Um, and, and we'll discuss, I'm sure, the, the generals who play a huge part in our club now. Uh, and I've got to say, longevity has given us the chance to develop that over the years. Um, so I'd be remiss to say that it's something you can go in and, and, and put together in six months. It, it takes time. Uh, and we've been fortunate enough to have that time and, and develop it over a number of years now. And we, we know each other, Dobbo. We met, I think it was about 11 years ago. And connection's obviously a massive, massive part of how you coach. And when uh, it, it was 2010, I remember coming down to Wickham. You, at the time, you were still the youth team. You were the youth team coach. You were with the reserves. You were taking the reserves too, but you were still involved in the Centre of Excellence. And I'd never been to Wickham. And when I arrived, we, we talk about it in the book about the Meyer Angelou quote. I'll never forget how you made me feel when I arrived at Wickham and, and in the, the time that I actually spent there. And I, I truly do value that. And it shows in the success that you have. But can you, can you share some practical steps on, on how you've developed connections with players over the years now? Uh, yeah, it, it, it's all about mutual respect. So um, for me, very often players are seen as, as commodities. And uh, they do a job as long as they do a job. And when they don't do the job, they're moved on and the next one comes in. And you end up with this conveyor belt. Um, and I didn't like that. I don't like that. Um, I want to invest time in people and I want people to stay with our club for a long period of time because once they have that connection with the club and, and they, they totally buy into the culture, they can then start to spread that culture um, further afield. So you end up with a, a small army of people that are, are, are selling your culture, creating a bigger identity and, and more people can connect with those people. 
so for me it's, it's always about respect and and um obviously you know welcoming you into the building um was very much about us being respectful as a, a group of people um, i've got to say uh, I, I really do enjoy watching our players now when new people come into the building whether they're reporters or, or people that they, they're not sure of because very often they'll stop what they're doing break off from their training walk over introduce themselves shake their hand um, say welcome to Wickham Wanderers and then they'll get back on with their jobs and I just think it's a really nice touch for anybody that knew that's coming into the club um, but the key thing is getting to know people and, and digging deeper so understanding their their backstory understanding um, them what makes them tick so what what motivations they have what their values and, and beliefs are in life um, and, and understanding what they want out of their out of their experience with with your club and in our case at Wickham Wanderers and of course there's there's a huge word the biggest word in football for me which is is gaining trust so your your actions need to uh, to match your words as a coach um, you know when you say you're going to do something you need to do it um, because once your actions and, and your words aren't matching people start to think that hang on a minute here this isn't right he's told me one thing he's doing something different so we need to make sure that at all times our actions and words are, are, are aligned. Um, the other thing that people want is, is they want to be inspired. They want to understand that they're going to be pushed to, to greater levels that there are. Um, there are levels that they haven't found yet that are ahead of them that they can aspire to. Um, and, and one of the, the, the things that I, I constantly try and do with the players is try to inspire them in new ways. Um, uh, and... You know, sometimes that's relative to football. Sometimes that's from uh, watching something on TV and asking them to watch it. And, uh, and to give you a, uh, an example, a good friend of mine, a, um, a psychologist, uh, Dr. Misha Jervis, she watched a program called Remarkable Places to Eat, um, based in, uh, this particular episode was based in San Sebastian. And uh, on this episode, there's a restaurant there, which when you walk in, you um you don't get a menu you get two cards and you have to pick one of the cards um and then there's a 20 course meal and you don't know what's coming so it's um it's about uh i'm trying to think of the right word to describe finding new things out um uh it's about discovery and um it's also about human connection because the people that are eating this food don't know what's coming so the first thing you do is you connect with your your waitress or waiter who's at the table and you're asking them and so straight away there's connection between the restaurant and and the people that work in the restaurant uh, but behind all that and they show the the, the people in the, the kitchen there is this um, absolute uh, culture of hard work um, uh, and every hour or every couple of hours they stop for three minutes and whatever they're doing they stop for three minutes and they clean the place from top to bottom in three minutes with, with teamwork. So you've got this lovely uh, backdrop of, of hard work and, and efficiency and people working together in, uh, in tandem behind the scenes. And then this beautiful um, uh, front of stage creativity and, and discovery uh, that goes hand in hand. And I watched that program and I thought, this is what I want Wiccan Wanderers to be about. I want there to be hard work. I want there to be discipline and, and a togetherness but at the front of it I want to, to inspire people to be creative to discover um, and to try and push their limits and their boundaries um, so um, you know we talk about the generals I, I have six players now that we call our generals our, our culture leaders and um, I ask them to watch this program and come back to me uh, and tell me what they made of it um, so they watched it and they came back and they had lots of different thoughts and, and what is instigated is um, inspiration meetings so every two months now we have um, inspiration meetings which is uh, myself and the generals discussing ways that we can take the club forward trying new things that we haven't done before um, and they could be really small things they could be really big things but we discuss new ways to keep ourselves fresh um, to push the boundaries of what we're trying to do um, and it's just a, another bolt on to the, the culture or, or creating a, a wider culture of the club um, that's going to help the club progress over years to come. So Dobbo, you've, in the last part that you spoke about, you touched on the generals. Can you expand on that and explain the role that they have and, and the influence that they have in the group and also 
really how they they came about yeah the the, the generals are, are picked very carefully um, so they are players normally that have spent a, a period of time with us around the club have got to understand the club and the culture of the club and and they are now culture leaders um, culture protectors culture guardians of our club so they are the ones that are going to develop the club and take it into the future now we have four senior players at our club that are our our main generals but we have two um, younger players that we are mentoring into that group that form um, six generals at our club uh, and these younger players uh, as time progresses and our senior players come to the end of their careers these young ones will take on that mantle and it will be a uh, a fairly seamless transition in, into that that um, that role, which they're already fulfilling uh, at their early years anyway. You know, we're talking about lads who are in their mid twenties now. Um, the idea behind the generals was that we looked at the traditional way that football clubs do it, and there's a captain and a club captain, and they're normally two players that are very similar in terms of personality and character, and um, it's tough for two people to to look after a dressing room of maybe twenty five to thirty people. Um, we decided that it needed more eyes and ears um, and very different character types to connect with all the different characters that there are within the dressing room. So uh, I spoke about Matt Bloomfield earlier, who's been with the club for 15 years now. And he's, he's very calm, he's thoughtful, he's bright, um, and he connects with a certain group of our players. And then you've got Bayouak in Fenwa, who's very different to Matt Bloomfield, far more emotional character, um, a real leader of people. But... Um, you know, comes from the street a lot more. Um, his background is very different to Matt's in terms of how he grew up and the people that he, he connects with. So, you know, you're probably looking at two people that are the two different ends of the spectrum in terms of their personality and the people that they, they connect with. But they both do a wonderful job of, of keeping everybody at our club connected and, and mentoring the younger players. So that was the reason why we, we, we brought in this leadership group that we, we nicknamed the Generals. And that, that came about after we took the players to the Somme uh, and we visited the battlegrounds in, in northern France um, for, for a couple of days. And as we come back, we decided that we wanted to connect what we were doing with the experience that we had had in the Somme um, and dubbed them the generals as a consequence. So they're, they're really pivotal in, in shaping the future of our club, in, in policing the dressing room, um, uh, in inducting new players into the club, and, and of course, when we do off-pitch development days, their roles are, are absolutely crucial because the staff tend to, to take a step back and allow the generals to have um, plenty of leadership within the team. So it becomes peer-to-peer -peer, uh, leadership. You've mentioned Bioak in Fenwa. You mentioned him a few times. I just want to touch on something that, before I move on, something that he said about you when my dad and I had a conversation with him. And what he said really epitomises you and and your incredible strengths that you have and you asked a favor of him you asked him to do something for us which he did and we called up to thank him and his response was you don't need to thank me Dobbo's like he's like a father figure to me so anything he asks of me I'll do it I trust him and I love the guy he's, he's like a dad to me and wow this is a player, by the way. This is, this is one of the generals. This is what the players think of you. And I think that is such a great attribute to have. So I just wanted to weave that in there with you mentioning his name. But moving on, you've touched about the generals and off-pitch experiences. And you do talk about breaking beliefs. And there's a, there is a chapter in our book that, that talks about breaking beliefs. And there's a there's a story that I have about a, a young boy. He's only, he was 10 years old at the time. During practice, we were working on a shooting exercise and every time the boy had a chance to hit, the, hit it with his left foot, he would either try and hit it with the outside of his right or his toe or he'd cut back and, and lose the opportunity. So I saw it, I went out, I pulled him over to one side and I said, so, you know, when, when the time's right, can you use your left foot? And his reply, and I, I took notice, his reply was, I can't use my left foot. So for me, unless you don't have a left foot, you can use it. And I thought, right, perfect. This is a perfect opportunity. So I got a ball out, said, yeah, son. Threw it out to him for him to strike on his left foot. And he, he ran onto it. And the goal wasn't as important as him using his left foot, but he did score. So he's 
the fact that he made contact with it, I've made a big deal out of it. And he's come back, he's ear to ear, smiling. And I've said, you just told me you, you just told me you couldn't use your left foot. And you've just, you've just used it. I said, how good is that? And obviously the, the kids, the kids smiling were made up. And it's not to say he could have missed. It wasn't the point that he scored. It's the fact that he actually used his left foot. And when people say that they can't do something, especially as coaches, I think we have a responsibility and a job to break those beliefs. And it's not to say that this boy will be, he'll have a left foot like Messi. Because when Picasso picked up his paintbrush, he didn't, he didn't become an incredible painter overnight. It was a work in progress. And there's processes that go behind getting to that level. But you have an off-pitch experience around breaking self-limiting beliefs with, with a group. Would you be able to share that with us? Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's our job as coaches to inspire people to, to greater performance. Uh, and um, uh, very often it's about cajoling them to, to do it themselves, to find a way themselves. And we talk, we have a statement at Wickham Wanderers about finding a way. You know, you can always find a way. So on a particular development day that you, you spoke about, we do development days every six to eight weeks at our club, off-pitch development days. And it's about um, developing the social and psychological side of our players. And we've done some weird and wonderful things, and I'll share a few of them with you um, over the next few minutes. The one in particular they're talking about is um, our chairman uh, owned an ice cream company. So Beach Dean Ice Cream was, was his ice cream company um, when he was chairman. Um, and we went down to his farm where his factory was based. And we took all the players there. They didn't know what was coming. And we put them into groups. So um, when, when we put them into groups, they, there's a general in each group. And the general's job is to, to lead that team uh, and to try and cajole their team into um, whatever the activities are. Um, and, and to be, be real leaders of their group. Now, on this day, the task for the team was to design an ice cream to create it themselves and then to market it. Uh, and at the end of the day, the, the people that worked at the ice cream company um, were going to mark each group for, for the efforts that they'd made. So um, the players got to work. Um, they were helped along the way with the people that worked in the ice cream co uh, company. So uh, there was a graphic designer there that was there to help them. There was a, the lady that normally makes the ice creams. Um, she was there. And, it, and they could come up with their own flavors um, they could call it whatever they wanted. It was entirely down to them. But the, the order of the day was about creativity. So the players were never told this beforehand. But you often hear players, when you're working with them, saying, as, as the young lad did with you, um, I can't do that, or I can't play in that formation, or you know, I've never done that before. Um, and for us, that day was about um, establishing with them that they can do things that they've never done before. So none of our players had, had ever created a, an ice cream before. They'd never made it with their own hands. They'd never marketed it. Yet at the end of the day, there they were in their groups, marketing their creation. And everybody, you know, there was a taste test going on and, and everybody was, was tasting each other's ice creams. And, um, uh, and at the end of the day, they all got marked on it, you know, in terms of their presentation skills and what have you. But the key to it was, uh, and the, the, the take-home message from that day was, You've never done this before, but within the day, you've learned how to. You've discovered and found a way to do it. Now, if you can do that in an industry that none of you have ever stepped foot in before, sure as hell can do it in, in terms of football because you've played football since you were a kid. So stop putting barriers in the way and, and using words like, I can't, and start saying, I'll try or I can, or I'll find a way. because if you can do it with something you've never done it before, you can certainly uh, find a way to do it within football. And that was quite a, a big development day for us. Um, and the boys really buy into these development days. To tell you a, a, another story, we spoke at the start of this season about culture. And we dug quite deep into what is a culture. We had a number of new players come into the club in the summer. Um, and it was really important for us that we stressed to them that they were entering a culture that was really strong and they, they had to come and be part of. So um, we looked at the All Blacks and the strength of the, um, the New Zealand All Blacks culture. Uh, and we discussed um, when they do the hacker, what does it mean to them? Um, you know, it's a really powerful moment in sport when you watch the All Blacks do the hacker. 
Um, so we played it on the big screen and we, we stuck the, the, the volume to full and we listened to it and we, and then I said to the boys, you know, what does that mean to you? What are you seeing here? So they spoke about togetherness. They spoke about history um, and the values and, and beliefs of the, the Maori culture coming out in that dance, which is actually not a war dance, but a dance about respect. So they're, as they're doing the, cult, the, the, the hacker, they're saying to their opponents, we respect you. Um, a few weeks later, we brought someone in on one of our off-pitch development days and, and Gareth introduced him and, and said to him, said to the boys, you know, we've got a consultant in today. Um, he's going to talk to you um, a little bit. I'd like you to, to show him the respect he deserves. And as Gareth said that, the door flung open and there was this guy dressed in full Maori gear, face painted. He sounded this horn, which was a shell. And then he marched through the middle of the boys uh, doing the hacker. Uh, and when he got to the front, he spoke to them in Maori for a minute. And the look on the boys' faces was, was brilliant. There were some absolutely bemused, others huge grins on their faces. Um, and I think they knew what was coming at that point. So uh, he told a story about the history of the hacker and what that meant and, and the Maori culture um, and, and how that translates to the All Blacks when they're representing New Zealand. Um, and then he taught them the words of the hacker and what the hacker means. We then went down into the gym and he taught them the movement of the hacker, um, which was really, really powerful because our boys, you know, as an iconic um, event in sport, our boys already knew the, the, the meaning of the hacker um, and they wanted to, to try and recreate that. So we all learned in the gym. Um, and the last thing he did was he turned the two the, the groups, split them in half, turned them to each other, and we performed the hacker at each other as a sign of respect. Now, as my group was doing it, I looked across the room and the opposition, much like they do in rugby, had advanced right in front of us and had linked arms. And there's Bayouac and Fen were looking at us along with all his team of people. Uh, and there was us doing a hacker saying, we respect you. And I can't tell you how powerful that moment was um, to bring the squad together, you know, to, to share that moment together um, uh, and to then uh, perform the hacker and tell the others how much we respected them was a, a huge moment. Um, and these new players very, very quickly understood what they'd come into in terms of, you know, a real family culture, a real tight-knit culture. Um, uh, another development day that, that I remember, we, we, and this is one of our more bizarre ones, we had them in groups of five and we, sh we put the boys, four of the boys back to back and shrink wrapped them. So all four of them are uh, facing in different directions and are shrink wrapped together. Um, and then they were blindfolded, so hoods put over their head. The one that wasn't shrink wrapped was the, the quietest member of the group. So you've got the likes of Matt Bloomfield, who wants to be the leader all the time, but all of a sudden is shrink wrapped to, the, to his teammates, blindfolded, and the quietest member of the group then had to navigate his team through uh, an obstacle course. And bearing in mind that forward to one of them is backwards to the other and is left and right to the other two. So he had to come up with a right choice of language to guide his team through that obstacle course. And this is the, the, the quietest member of the group. And what we tried to teach him that day was that sometimes you need to listen to the quietest member of the group. Sometimes he's got something to say and the others need to learn when to be quiet and when to just listen. Um, and it also taught the quietest member of the group that sometimes you've got to step up to the mark. And it's all very well sitting in the background, but sometimes there is a time in life where you have to come to the fore and, and play a big part in that team. Um, and that was a, a quite a powerful one in terms of um, trying to develop the quieter members of the squad and understand, giving an understanding to the senior members that at times you just need to be quiet and listen. Some powerful wow. stuff there. That's, that's powerful. And Yeah, I concur. And... I'm listen, I'm, as I'm listening to you there, Dobbo, I'm, you know, I'm getting that sense of the massive importance of connection that you, that you built and the, uh, you know, that, the importance of building a culture, which, which takes time, as you've mentioned earlier. You know, I, the power of the story and the metaphor that you, those, those experiences that have been, I guess, etched into all the players that have, that have been at the club a long time and for those that are coming in, you know, how quickly you bond and get them, get the newbies, you know, the new players back into the, get them into the four, get them into the family, if you like, 
all through you know being creative but equally being being in an, their environment where you know whatever they do it's trustworthy and you know there's no risk it's it's safe it's a safe haven to be and what a what a fantastic place it would be just to be around yourself and of course the rest of the players and staff at Wickham Wanderers. I'm going to change the uh, I'm going to change the tack slightly, if I may, and I want to talk now more about you know the game changes every season. The game evolves in one shape or another. We change players, change personnel, changes staff, change. The game's going to be changing as well, and so. For coaches that are listening, what do you think the skill sets will be for the coach of the future? What will they need to learn? Well, um, I think your your book um, probably sums it up perfectly in terms of the direction that, that coaching is is going in. So, for many years, and certainly when I was um, was playing, uh, the manager was there to tell you what to do. You did what the manager said, um, and uh, it was a very autocratic process. Um, and if you didn't do it right, then you got shouted at. And it was one of the things that you, you had to take because that was just the way that football was in this country. And, then, and over the years, things have started to change. And particularly when you look at your likes of Guardiola and Klopp and, and Pochettino, um, their inspirations, the way that they deal with their players nowadays is, is about... Um, cajoling people um, it's about uh, gaining friendships and trust uh, and, and far deeper relationships than, than we've been used to developing in the past uh, with our with our players so these new age managers and new age coaches are, are understanding that you can have all the technical and, and tactical knowledge in the world but if you can't um, get that message across to your players then it's a waste of time having it in the first place um, you can see with the connection that they have with their players when you see them on TV and the fact that the players are so forthright in, in hugging their manager or, or sharing you know, words with them, um, that, that they've got very much a, a towards atmosphere um, uh, rather than a, a, a sort of a, a stand-back atmosphere or, or an office atmosphere with their coaching staff. Um, so I talk very much at our club about there is no hierarchy in terms of you know, staff are up here and, and the, the players are down there. We're very much together. We're all on the same level. Um, we're all integrated and we're all fighting for the same cause. So if one of our players has an idea that they want to share, then let's hear it. You know, let them have a voice um, because they'll surprise you. Uh, and it's also good for, for the diversity of, of, of culture in the place that you want to have people with different ideas and, and new ideas. Uh, the one thing that our players are very respectful of is that they, they realise that we've got... Um, uh, a greater period of time within the game and, and we've obviously gone away and done our qualifications and, and learning. So they're very respectful towards the coaching staff, but it doesn't mean that they don't have a voice. Far from it. They, they really do have a voice. Um, uh, and, and at times, we'll, we'll let them just get on with it themselves. So on a Monday morning, um, we, we normally review uh, matches. Sometimes we'll just leave them in the room with the analyst on their own and say, review yourselves. We don't need to know what the outcome is of your review. Um, we just want you to talk about it yourselves and we trust you to get on with it. And, and that's where, once again, the, the generals come to the fore in terms of, of leading that group. So um, as a coach, I think coaches now have to be really, really aware of um, their ability to connect on, on the social side of their, their coaching. So the, to how to connect with their, their, um, their players. Um, and when I say connect, it doesn't necessarily mean you've got to talk to them the whole time. Um, I watch our players like a hawk um, in the mornings, in particular when they come into the building. I don't tell them I'm watching them, but I'm looking at who's talking to who, whether someone's in, in isolation, because you never know whether something's gone wrong within his, his home um, or, or his lifestyle away from the club. And um, uh, sometimes we at the football club have to pick up the pieces um, you know, and be that method of support for them that they might not necessarily have away from the club. So um, we talk very much about our, our, our training ground being a, a safe haven, a safe environment for people to express themselves, um, to, to say what they want and to be themselves and be themselves fully. Um, one of the first things I say to any player that comes into this, to, to, into our club, into our dressing room, is that 
you're here for a reason. You're here because of the skill sets that you're going to bring, not just on the pitch, but off it. Um, we've done our due diligence on you. We've done our homework. We understand the character you are. And now we want you to be that character fully. Um, and, and, you know, we spoke about Bayak in February earlier. When he came to us, um, someone from his previous club said, his legs have gone. You know, you're not going to get much out of him now. Uh, he's coming to the end of his career. Well, four years later, Bayo is uh, the club's record league goal scorer. Uh, he's done an absolutely fantastic job for us on the pitch, but he's done an even better job off the pitch with his leadership skills. And um, he's certainly inspired not just a, a group of players um, in our dressing room, but uh, a group of fans and supporters um, that come to watch him every week and enjoy what he brings to the party. You know, you mentioned lots of, there's some wonderful wonderful shares in in your response to my question and one of them stands out you know as a coach nowadays the the ability uh, to actually you know live in silence a wee bit more rather than being on on the deck or in around the players trying to provide them with you know with loads of content and i i pick up where you you know you're observing the players from a distance and for for those that are listening you know sometimes it's we don't have to go out there to fix, you know, some of the issues that the players may have, because of course we might be mind reading what's actually actually occurring. But I'm interested in just delving a little bit deeper around that for me. And you know, when you're actually watching for things, what changes? How do you know when you need to actually go in and intervene? And does that information come from you directly going and and speaking to the player, or do you get that through? you know, a third source? Um, it varies. So, so sometimes I will see things, and I guess this, is, um, this comes with experience of, of watching people and, and understanding them to a greater level. Uh, but sometimes you see a change of behaviours in, in players that you suddenly go, I need to have a conversation with him. And you, you don't know what's wrong, but your gut feeling tells you that you need to intervene and you need to ask a question and see where it leads. Um, and, and our boys are really great in, in you know, when I talk about respect and, and trust, they're very open and honest with us. Um, so when we ask a question, very rarely do we get shrugged off and, and the, you know, everything's okay answer. Um, they're, they're, they're open and honest in terms of what's happen, happening in their lives, which is, which is great. But um, not always, Keith. Sometimes it's about um, listening and, um, and the generals are our ears in the dressing room you know, there are, there are times where a player's going through a hardship and we meet every month, the generals, and we, we sit down and we talk about all the players in the dressing room. We talk about who's having a good time, who might be going through a, a difficult time. And sometimes uh, the players will say to me, you know, this lad's finding it tough because he hasn't played in the last month. And, um, uh, and that's where I really give them ownership in, in terms of uh, their leadership skills and, and trying to mentor them to become really good mentors themselves. So... You know, I will say to that player, right, I understand the, the, the problem that we've got with the, this player in the dressing room. This is how I would like you to approach it as a general. So you've got a really good relationship with him, so I'll select you to go and, and, and speak to him. And you know, it might well be Matt Bloomfield, for example. So Matt, do me a favour. Go and have a conversation with him and do it subtly. You know, or, or take him for a coffee and, 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 and have a chat and, and just check that everything's all right. Um, and if you can manage the situation, I have no need to get involved. I'm perfectly happy and, and I trust you enough that, that you can deal with the situation. If, however, something um, comes up that's a little bit bigger and you're not comfortable dealing with it, then come to me and I'll get involved from there. So uh, when I talk about different layers, um, sometimes the, the players provide a, a better means of passing a message on than I can provide. You know, they have very different relationships with their peers than, than the ones that I have with them. And sometimes it, it's a case as a coach of getting your message across and it doesn't have to come from you. Sometimes you have to acknowledge that you need to use other people to pass the message on and take a step back um, and, and trust the others around you because you know that, they, that, that they, they've got the same messages as you. They, they, you know they're on the same page as yourself. Um, and as long as there's that total, that total trust in, in them uh, and they have this, the, the right skill sets, to be able to deal with that particular problem, then let them do it. Let them have their time uh, as a leader and as a mentor and, and, and let them learn to develop them skills that are going to be 
really crucial for them, not just as they approach the end of their careers, but in life going on um, once football's finished for them. And here we are thinking that coaching is literally about the ball, ball, bib, cone, player, grass. And you're delving into areas, you know, and we thank you immensely for, you know, going behind the inner sanctum of, you know, how you approach things as a, as a person, as a, as a, cause I've known you a long time now. And, and as a coach, uh, or coaxee, we're actually coaxing information out and actually guiding rather than telling. I think it's an immense quality, and for all those that are actually listening to this podcast, the the information that's been shared by someone that's an exemplar in his field and such a wonderful person off it as well. Dub, I can't. I mean, the feelings that are being generated just from that must be. It amplifies, you know, the the importance of you know that human connection and getting to know people at a slightly different level to probably most would probably even consider going and you know as a consequence to that you know we look at success and you know it could be either winning of course it is you're in the result game but you know you're shaping you're shaping somebody's life uh, and through that you know you're helping them to develop and feel free and feel just feel at ease which obviously must be a well it is you know I'm, I, I just I'm in awe of what's going on and I've known for many years because of the conversation that you and I have had, but for you to share this is priceless. I've got, I've got to say, Keith, as, you, as you're talking there, you know, I, I, walk at, I work at the so-called winning end of football. Um, my background was uh, as a development coach, you know, within the academy and, and working with kids, but that hasn't changed. And as, as far as I'm concerned, your best chance of winning is developing the people that you've got within your building. So, um, you know, whether they're 37, 38 years of age, like Bayo is, um, I still believe that they can be developed and, and um, they can aspire to, to greater performance. Uh, and also, you know, they've got a life after football that I think we, we have a, a responsibility to try and help them with. Um, you know, your influence for, uh, as a coach or as a mentor doesn't finish the moment that they hang their boots up uh, and go on to do something else. I'd like to think that we're, we're trying to develop skills in them that they can take into uh, other aspects of life uh, uh, and other careers once they finish football and I'd like to think that we leave in a relationship that they will always be on the end of the phone or, or I certainly will be for them if ever they need me in, in any other walk of life or anything that they go on to. You've touched on the influence that you're having on other people, what you're providing for other people but but for you as a as a coach and as a person who has been the key influence on, influences on your coaching journey so far? So I've had a few, um, and I've got to say one of the, the – so I'll start from the beginning, actually, because, of course, you, your dad always plays a, a major part in, in, in life. Uh, and I lost my dad now nearly 13 years ago to cancer. Um, but he was a coach. Uh, he worked at Brentford Centre of Excellence for, for many years, and um, very often I would go and, and as a, a teenager in my late teens, I would assist him. Um, with his group at the Centre of Excellence. So I was gaining knowledge and, and insights into coaching work just through being around him and, and, and working with him. Um, so I obviously picked up a, a great deal from him early in, in life that um, I've taken with me uh, as I've progressed in, in my career. When I was playing, there was a, a guy, a coach named uh, Mike Critchell, who, who I was very close with. And, and he was the first coach that I really thought to myself, this guy really cares about me. Um, he, he was self-sacrificial in terms of the time that he gave up to help um, us as players. Um, and uh, he just had a way about him that um, he was different to anybody that I'd worked with before. Um, he cared how I developed. He cared about me as a person. Um, and I, I started to see these, these other skills. Um, I mean, he, his background was as a teacher, but there was a a side to him that when he said something to me, I, know, I knew it was meant. Um, and I think he was one of the early ones that I, you know, I thought to myself, I want to be like this guy. You know, when I'm older, I want to be like this guy. Um, the other major um, effect that, I, that I've had is um, I was fortunate enough to be on the first ever FA psychology course. It just coincided with, with my starting, starting my journey in, in coaching. And I got on this psychology course and, and worked my way through the first 
five um, levels, which gave you the FA psychology diploma. Through going on them courses, I met people that thought very differently about coaching, people that understood people, other human beings, um, and, and gave us a different perspective, uh, perspective on, on coaching and, and the way that you connect with other people, um, because obviously their, their expertise was around understanding human beings and the interaction between human beings. So I gained a lot of knowledge from that and, and thought to myself, this is something I need to, to delve deeper into. And uh, I'm going to name check him here and, and probably embarrass him a little, but um, your dad, Keith, is one of those that I met on that course and um, somebody that I became really good friends with and um, somebody that has influenced me greatly. Uh, and one of the things as a coach is you never really understand or truly understand just how much people are taking in from you. So sometimes they will, they will tell you, that they'll give you um, little signals that tell you how much they're taking in, but um, they don't truly know the extent of what's gone in um, and what your thoughts are around the things that they've said and they've, they've taught you. Uh, and Keith, I've got to say, you know, the, the book that you've written has passed on absolute gold dust to so many others now, but I've been, I've been taking them, them uh, moments of gold dust from you for many years, and, uh, and it's a great chance for me to say thank you for the influence that you've had on me. Richie, I, you know, I, I think when you when you first meet with people and you know we're way up, I think within a few seconds you're weighing up what sort of character and for sure you know our relationship has blossomed over many many years. I think the you know great quality that people can possess is is humility and without doubt, uh, you know I just feel, I just feel as there's that real deep connection beyond the field which you and I have got and and of course that represents itself on the field as well and I, I thank you for that listen we're coming we're coming to that time and we could be stay we stay on the phone or we could recall this for I could listen to you and I'm sure Davey would as well he will agree is so much that we can glean from you but finally, you know, what advice would you give to any coach starting off on the coaching journey? Because I, I know you and I've known you for, you know, best part of 15, 16 years, I think now, and, or it's give or take a few years. And you've worked and cut your teeth through development. You've worked across young, uh, working with younger players and now working at the sharp end where it's result-based and you've got to, you know, points, every point matters. but any of the listeners that that are listening to you, what advice would you give to them? Starting off, what would you give them? What pearls of wisdom? So, so for me, and, and talk, talking about my journey, um, when I first started out, I, I was obviously watching a lot of other experienced coaches coach, and I would kind of jump from style to style um, based on who I'd just seen and uh, and what information that I'd gleaned from that person. So um, I think sometimes you can get caught with watching other people, putting them on a pedestal and, and trying to be like somebody else. Now, the great thing about all of us is that we all have this uh, uh, uniqueness about us. We're all different. We all have different styles. Um, and the best advice that I could give people is to, to find your style, to find your unique talents in terms of coaching and to embrace it fully. Um, many years ago now, and I can't remember the, the exact time uh, in my career that, that it really occurred to me, but um, I suddenly became very comfortable in who I was and what I was. So um, as a coach, I stopped chasing other people. I stopped trying to copy other people. Of course, I, I always um, uh, looked to learn from others, but I decided that the style that I had was the style that I was going to work with and, and take forward. Um, and I'm really comfortable in that now. Um, the other thing that I would talk about is understanding your fit within a football club. So, um, you know, all clubs are different and um, there's got to be a, an element of adaptability when you move into a new football club. But don't, don't um, give up the, the principles and the values and the beliefs that you hold as a coach. Um, they're, they're what are going to get you through your career. So stick to being the, the, the coach that, that you are. Stick to your unique style when you find it. 
uh, and then just have a little bit of adaptability around how you drop that into the club that you work for. Because over time, once they gain, they, they gain trust in you and, and the people that you work with understand who you are, um, you're, you're going you're to flourish. You're going to show every single part of your, um, your coaching ability. Um, so that, you know, once you've gained that trust, your, your, your own qualities will come to the fore. Um, and that's, you know, when, when you're first going into a club, that would be my, uh, my key suggestion. Sometimes you've just got to look, listen, understand the culture of the club and then find how your methodologies fit into that. Sure. And so advice for young coaches working within, you know, the, the lower levels of, of a club, either grassroots or, you know, fortunate enough to work within academies. Would that advice that you just provided ring true for them as well? So you, you mentioned earlier about the importance of mentors and trying to find your, you know, you got to try, trying to find your own identity. And that of course comes in time. But when you first, you know, you just first, you cut your teeth right at the beginning. For someone like that, what would be the, what would be those little steps that you would help them with? What sort of things would you advise them to do? Well, well once again, just, just off the back of my last answer, people know when you're being genuine. People can see through that. So, so be yourself and be yourself fully. Because if you're not, people read it. Uh, they, they, they understand that you know, you're not quite being yourself. For, for people that are just starting out, of course, go, go and try and gauge, gauge as, as much knowledge as you possibly can from, from other people, from other coaches. Pick their brains, ask some questions. Uh, and, and in terms of working with the players, as we've spoken about throughout this podcast, Try and understand them as human beings fully. Try and understand the people behind the player uh, and the people that you're coaching. Because for me, there are two things as a coach that you need to do. You need to understand yourself, yourself fully. You need to understand the way that you're portrayed and, and the way that you speak. You know, are, they, are they hearing the same things? So uh, to use an example, I once worked with a, uh, a coach who had quite an aggressive form of communication. And at times he would praise players, but it was said in such an aggressive way that they actually thought they were in trouble even when they were being praised. So the way that you portray yourself, you have to understand how people are portraying that um, at the same time and whether the messages that you're getting across uh, are coming across because of the words you speak or, or actually because of your actions and, and the way that you're saying it. And you know, once you understand yourself fully, I think it's far easier to connect with with other people because um, you know I've, I've been on a long journey of, of self-discovery over the years and, and now I, I think I understand myself um, to a, a far better degree I also understand that the journey that other people are having in terms of their own self-discovery um, and I can help them along the way in that journey um, you know obviously aside from the, the, the stuff on the grass that we do with the ball and the bibs and the cones. Double it it's been incredible I mean the the knowledge that you've shared today, the stories you've shared with us. I wish we could go for another few hours. Truly do that. It's just been, it's been brilliant and it's evident. It's very, very evident. Obviously we know you anyway, but for anyone that's listening, it's evident that you're, you're sprinkling that gold dust on people's lives. You're affecting people, you're influencing them with integrity and you're making a difference. And I can't, we can't thank you enough for coming on today. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I know what currently we're we're not on the grass, and and you're you're not in. We wish that everybody stays safe, but when you do start back up, we we wish that we wish you the best of luck and that your success continues. And I have no doubt with what you're doing and the way that you are approaching things that that will will continue. And we look forward to following you on your journey throughout the rest of your career too and, and I implore everyone that's listening to do the same because it's been incredible double thank you for for coming on no no thank you both and I've got to say you know it's difficult times at the moment with this coronavirus and um, it's something that is totally out of our control so I'm focusing on the things that I, I, I can control which is um, the work that I do around my family and trying to develop my kids um, but I also I miss the boys and I miss the, the, the team, you know, the coaching team immensely at Wickham Wanderers. They, they really enrich my life working with those guys day in, day out. And um, we have some wonderful characters uh, at the football club. So I am looking forward to the days that I can get back with them and, 
it's funny because one of the boys said to me the other day, you know, when we get back together again, I can't wait to give you a hug. And uh, I think that's going to be quite some time in the, in the distance before we can go around hugging each other. So um, uh, I'm not sure how we're going to greet each other when we see each other again, but I am really looking forward to getting back into it. And, um, you know, we might surprise one or two and, and, and get ourselves promoted if we're lucky. So um, let's see how it goes. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast. And also you can visit our website at www.golddustpodcast.com mentoring.com Thank you everybody